Welcome to our first season of the podcast, Grow From Darkness. We are your hosts, Amanda Blackwood. And Chrysanthi Dokos from Coast to Coast. As some of our listeners know, we're both survivors of complex trauma, and it's our mission to help others experiencing similar issues. This season, we're going to be digging into trauma reactions, their long-term consequences, and how we fight back to live our best lives. Thank you for letting me. Hi, Amanda. It's so wonderful to be back here again. Um, we're, um, we're really chuffing along, aren't we, with all these topics. It's just incredible. I was thinking about it this morning when I was preparing myself for today, how much you can talk about trauma. And really, we're still just skimming the surface. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this episode is going to be airing on October 17th, and we got started all the way back in February of this year. So yeah. uh, this is our 18th episode. So we are going strong with enough subject material to go for a couple of years. It's amazing, isn't it? How, how, how in-depth you can get and yet just still skimming the surface. But anyway, okay. today we're talking about hypervigilance as a trauma response um and this is something that i've personally experienced so you know watch out today's episode might bring out some personal little anecdotes i don't know it definitely <laughs> might for both of us i've been through a lot of that myself so yeah, yeah. in the simplest terms what is hypervigilance well basically it's a heightened awareness of your surroundings and you're on a high alert um, feeling that there's a sense of danger around you all the time. That's probably the simplest way of defining it. Yeah, that's absolutely perfect. Um, it's amazing how completely exhausting this can be. And a lot of people don't realize that. They think hypervigilance only happens when you sense danger, but that's not a trauma response. That's a red flag alert. You need to pay attention to that. But if you have mm -hmm. hypervigilance as a, red, as a trauma response, it is 24 hours a day. You can be sound asleep and wake up because a cat jumps off of the table and lands very softly on the floor. Mm. And that mm. is something that I'm very well aware of. I have to sleep with earplugs now. I have lived in wow. a constant state of hypervigilance for so many years because of what happened to me. It's amazing. Mm. Mm. And it's exhausting. You know? It is exhausting. Um Interestingly, like before we got on air, we were talking about my recent experience of acupuncture. And um, one of the reasons that I've been seeing um, an acupuncturist is because my body, I've just felt, is in constant fight-flight mode. And even though I've been, you know, doing lots of wonderful things that we've talked about over the over the course of this year, um, I was finding that I was waking up in the middle of the night and my whole body was pulsating and, um, you know, my heart rate was up and uh, pulse was up and stiff and I, I couldn't understand why. Um, and I was feeling, you know, aches and pains. So I went along to this acupuncturist who was recommended to me and he said to me, you have adrenal fatigue. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, have you experienced stress lately? I said, well, I had a pretty stressful life and listed the things that I'd live experienced of. Um, and he said, yeah, your whole system, your your major organs, your um, everything is just in overdrive all the time. And he said, what we're going to be doing 
is calming your body down and getting it back to a normal sort of homeostasis where it's not um, constantly hypervigilant. He used those words. Wow, that's fantastic. Mm. He's he's acknowledging that it's not just part of your mind. It is actually part of your body. Mm. It's, mm. it's nice to hear that because there's a lot of people that don't want to acknowledge that the two are so interconnected and they really are. I mean, hypervigilance is more than just having your brain scanning the room and ignoring your family or friends when, you know, you're trying to figure out if there's something aggressive that's around you. you mm. know, it is also very much a physical thing too. It can cause all kinds Completely. of issues. So a lot of times with people are hypervigilant, um, let's see if you have the same issue I do, I overreact to loud sounds. So constant, mm-hmm. the, the elevated drums that I hear at church, if they boost yes. the sound of the drums and it gets so loud, they have to leave the building. I can't stay. Mm-hmm. And it's loud bangs, sounds, unexpected noises, smells that might mm-hmm. uh, trigger a memory can make me very hypervigilant. Yeah. I can get really agitated. I can get irritated. I have um, snapped at my husband while we're at church because there's drums going off and I don't make the connection at the time. I just know that something's mm. driving me crazy and I need to go. I need to go. I need to go right now. And it's that hypervigilance. Mm. And I've also learned that a lot of people confuse hypervigilance with empathy. Mm. Mm. That's an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah. Right. So when you walk into a room, You think you're empathetic enough to understand who the most damaged, hurt person is in the room and you want to make them feel better when really it's hypervigilance telling you this is the most dangerous person in the room. And if you don't appease them, they will hurt you. Yeah, there's a huge difference between the two, the the number and the percentage of the entire world that are actually actually empathetic souls is very small. The majority Mm. of people who believe they're empaths are actually abuse survivors or victims who are hypervigilant. Yes. Yes. It's really fascinating. Um, I've had a, a, I've given this a lot of thought actually, particularly in the last couple of years, you know, doing my own sort of kind of self-analysis and working out, you know, who am I as a human being? Because I used to consider myself as a highly, empathic person and you know I am empathic but I think I, I, I'm on the um, scale of hypervigilance rather than empathy as such you know um, I can't be and both. So, well you can be both you can be both but for me I've realized um, you know particularly when I saw this acupuncturist recently just how hypervigilant my body still is um, and it really is a body response. And um, just a, as another example, um, I was in a very toxic relationship at one point in my life and I didn't realise just how toxic the relationship was until I was out of it. But while I was there, um, I spent probably a good two and a half years completely hypervigilant and at one point, um, like I was walking six to ten kilometers a day simply because my body was just coursing with adrenaline and cortisol, and I just couldn't couldn't sit. 
I had to walk. Um, and even when I got back home after that, I was still uptight. And we got to a point where I would go to bed at night with uh, gas lighters in my hand because I was so afraid. But this person had not done anything like to physically hurt me or anything like that. But my body sensed that this wasn't a very safe person to be. And it was giving me all these um, little hints, but, you know, it took a while for me to figure that one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even when you are in a perfectly safe situation, your brain and your hypervigilance can often tell you that you're not. You know, mm -hmm. there's a lot of details that happen around us that a lot of people who do not have hypervigilance don't recognize. Yeah. And I see this so often with my husband where he just completely doesn't pay attention to uh, things like um, subtle body language or the tone mm. of someone's voice or, you know, their mood and expression on their face. And I pay attention to all mm. these things and it might be just a very brief little flash and I'll spot it. And I was like, yes. did you notice X, Y, Z? No, I didn't notice We'll talk yes. about it. Well, I don't know how right. I don't know if you're right about this one. Usually it turns out later on, I was right. Something was wrong yes. and yeah. they needed to talk to somebody about it. And it, yeah. it is one of those trauma reactions. It's really very handy to have, but at the same mm. time, you have to be able to limit it. You cannot let it take Indeed. over your life. Indeed. Yeah. Look, I, I taught for 33 years and as a teacher, in you can pick up very quickly who are the kids that are hypervigilant who've experienced some level of trauma to be like that and they're constantly surveying the room and usually they sit at the back of the classroom because that's where they feel safest, that there's a wall behind them, no one can come up behind them and, and hurt them. Yep, that's um, me. Yeah. Yeah. I still do that to this day in restaurants or if I'm meeting mm -hmm. friends for coffee, I have to sit where my, where I'm facing the door because I don't mm. feel safe otherwise. Yeah. It's very, yeah. very rare circumstances where I allow that to be anything different. Mm. And yeah, mm. when we, when we start breaking down some of the problems that this can cause, one of them is that we're constantly expecting people to hurt us. And with that, Yes. We can start looking at our friends as though we're expecting them to eventually betray us. So mm. the hypervigilance directly links to trust issues with other people, whether they're friends, family, yes. it doesn't matter. Yeah. Yeah. And it does. And that trust issue goes back to those traumatic events because um, you're in a situation where you were completely unsafe and um, an event occurred, whatever that event was, where you were compromised yeah, in some absolutely. way. Yeah. And, and so the whole hypervigilance thing, if you are so busy paying attention to what is going on around you and you're looking for this danger, you can absolutely be ignoring lots of other stuff that's coming up, including dangerous things, because it doesn't remind mm. you and it doesn't trigger you based on your past. Yeah. absolutely ignoring red flags everywhere. I've done that yeah. too. Oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I put my hand up for that too. <laughs> oh gosh. It, it's, I mean, you know, you have to laugh. I, for me, that's the way I deal with, um, that's my coping mechanism in terms of 
how things occurred in the past in my life and how I, how it impacted me, you know, to try and um, balance my views about yeah. the past and, and, and accept it and just make sense of it so that it no longer impact, impacts on me in the future. So yeah. important. So if I laugh um, and listeners are thinking, why is she laughing? That's a bit of a trauma response, really. Yep. Yeah. I do the same. So years ago, this is a bizarre story. Um, years ago, when I first got back from Scotland, I enrolled in jujitsu and like three different forms of martial arts. And I was doing this every week. I was constantly in some kind of martial arts class. And mm. one day in jujitsu, I was paired up with a 12 year old kid who was about my same size. Cause I'm kind of small. I had lost mm -hmm. a lot of weight when I was in Scotland. So I was really petite. I'm only five foot six and this 12 year old kids, my same size. And while we're sparring, I get him in this lock and he can't break away from me. But while I'm holding him, and even though I'm in class, I am absolutely terrified because I have been oh, so wow. trained that you don't fight back. And when you fight back, things are going to get worse because eventually mm -hmm. they're not going to be dead and they will come after you because I don't have the mm. heart to actually kill somebody. And I know in my brain, while I'm holding this kid in this absolute lock that he can't break, he can't get away from me. I know without a doubt that I'm in a safe place. Nothing's going to happen to me, but that's not what my body is telling me. Mm. So without meaning to, I burst into this incredibly loud giggle. <laughs> and this poor Kid thought I was laughing at him and it humiliated oh, him. No. I felt terrible. But at the same time, I have to own the fact that I had no idea what was going on. I had no mm -hmm. clue. Mm -hmm. I knew there was something wrong, but mm. didn't make any sense to me at the time. I don't know why I'm giggling at this. This is not funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I explain that to so him later is, on. It's a nervous reaction. Yeah, well, I was just going to say this is probably a good point to try and introduce some of the impacts of hypervigilance that, you know, short-term, long-term impacts. So what have you got on your little list today for us? Well, boy, I've got a whole bunch. Um, one of the things is the lack of objectivity. So we can often read way too much into a situation. Um hmm that hypervigilance can turn regular conversations into arguments because of that. Um, I do have an over-awareness of trying to pay attention to what other people think when they look at me or what they see mm -hmm. when they look at me. Mm -hmm. I'm constantly looking around me. I can be having a conversation with somebody face-to-face -face at a convention last week. I was having a conversation with somebody and every time somebody walked past the hallway, I would stop and I would look in the middle of a sentence. I would do this. And eventually this person turned around and started looking behind them because they were getting paranoid that somebody was coming up to us. Oh, so, wow. Um, yeah. I can have this real problem with being jumpy or jittery. Mm. I occasionally have a real bad problem with sitting still. I mean, I'm sitting here twitching around all the time right now anyway, but that's because I talk with my hands. <laughs> But when I get jumpy and jittery, it's because something has triggered me to be more hypervigilant. Something's mm. going on that I'm not comfortable with. And I can't sit still because I feel like I'm in danger. Mm. Mm. Um, 
it has caused me uh, a real problem with trying new things or going places that I've never been before. So this is something that I didn't recognize um, as being a trauma response, but my mother had the same issue. We cannot walk into stores or restaurants that we've never been into before if we are alone. It is mm. absolutely petrifying for us. I have forced myself over the years to move beyond that. Uh, and yeah. I should do it anyway, but it is still an anxiety attack every time. And I have to count backwards from 10 before I can even get out of my car to walk into the place. It's kind of a weird thing to do, but wow. my mother did the same. I actually thing. have sort of similar experiences. I, um, I don't like going into basements and particularly into basement stores. And I was once in Seattle with um, a fellow and he said, I want to take you to oh, Nordstrom or something. I can't remember the name of the store now. But anyway, um, that's by the by. And he said, I'll leave you down here. And as we were going down the escalator, I'm thinking, I don't feel comfortable here. And I, you know, my body started reacting, you know, the heart rate went up and mm -hmm. um, I was feeling anxious and as we went down, he said, um, oh, you know, look, here's the women's section. Have a bit of a wander around. I'm going to go and have a look at the men's section. I'll be back shortly. And he was gone for what seemed to me hours. I was beside myself and I was constantly scanning the place, you know, not recognising anybody. The place was unfamiliar. Like even now I can feel it in my body. Um, it was awful. And um, he eventually came back about, I think it was about maybe 20 minutes or something, came back later, and I just let loose. I said, don't you ever leave me in a place like this again, you know. You know I didn't want to come here. <laughs> and um, oh But, yeah, and I look back on it now. It was actually a, 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 it was a PTSD, hypervigilance response. Absolutely it was. That's bizarre. Yeah. And I'm glad you can recognize that now, but at the time, I mean, if you don't know what it is that you're dealing with, this is a whole new world. Mm. I, I was hyperventilating Oof. to the point where I thought I was dying. Wow. Wow. It was not pleasant. So, I mean, that, that is an, an example of, you know, something that's really acute um, that can occur if you um, experience hypervigilance. As a trauma response. Yep, absolutely. And that's been a big issue um, for many years for me in my life. And this is something that I've had to occasionally explain to my poor husband. Is, mm. This is something that I have to deal with. And now that we're married, you have to deal with it too. <laughs> mm. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, and I, I suppose that's a consequence of that as well isn't it um oh, yeah. it impacts on your interpersonal relationships um oh, yeah and it's often a, for the long term you know yes. this is this is definitely a long-term problem i mean mm. if you can't have conversations because you are so distracted and you're unable to focus because you're focusing on everything else around you this is an issue you know mm. you need to keep yourself in check Take a moment to go through the five senses technique, go the breathing exercise, do what you need to do to reground yourself and remind yourself, I am not in a dangerous place. Unless you are. If you're in a dangerous place, get out. Um, yeah. But if you're in a safe environment, ground yourself, remind yourself who you are, remind yourself where you are. You know, you don't allow this 
to stop you from trying new things or going new places. You know, it's, it's not always easy. Uh, like I said, I have to count backwards to be able to get out of my car to go somewhere new. But if it mm. makes you feel more comfortable, take a friend with you. Mm. you know, starting this kind of process isn't always easy, but it's absolutely worth it. And you can build yourself up to it. It's like building muscles. Exactly. It is very much like that um, because our, we, we're basically training our bodies and um, our bodies remember. Yeah. Uh, they remember the trauma, which is why we've got the hypervigilance, but also if we slowly and gradually um, build up our capacity to try new things, as you said, or go down into basements and um, we can we can build our resilience and our bodily resilience to the point where um, we can overcome hypervigilance um, in the long term. Right. Yeah. I mean, some of the physical symptoms that you'll, you'll see when somebody is going through a hypersensitive state, hypervigilance, um, they'll have like psychological uh, and physiological symptoms. So they'll Mm. have their diet, their pupils will dilate. Um, their heart rate will increase. I know you can't see that. Their blood pressure will increase. I know you can't see that. But a lot of times when those things increase, they can break out in a cold sweat. Um, mm. They start getting really nervous. You can see them starting to get fidgety. If you yes. see somebody going through that, you absolutely have the ability to help them to calm down too. Mm. Mm. So, Indeed. That is really important to recognize too. You know, if you're going through this, have a friend with you, let the friend know that you want help with this and you should be all right. Mm-hmm. Actually, I was, I don't know why it's come to mind, but I remember a, a young boy that I was teaching um, about four or five years ago and something happened for him that caused a hypervigilant response. And um we had in the school um, what they called a, a like a timeout room, and usually, if, if students were experiencing something, we would send them there. But I knew for this boy, going to timeout was actually just going to um, exacerbate the situation. So I said, "Let's go for a walk," and he looked at me because this wasn't a usual thing in the school. I said, "Come on, let's just go for a walk." So we walked out of the building and down to the oval. And we just walked around the oval for about 10 minutes and just, um, you know, he was hyperventilating and I was trying to help him with his breathing, but he calmed down. And we were then able to deal with the actual situation that was occurring. So um, that's another way, another strategy, um, walking, walking it out because it actually helps your body to go back to some kind of, um, you know, normal equilibrium yeah absolutely Uh, yeah and you know hypervigilance is absolutely a part of ptsd you know Mm. these kids dealing with ptsd Mm. we have talked previously in different episodes about how exercise can really kind of snap you back out of that especially going through the depression stage when you're going through stuff like that it's hard to get out of it but you've got to find Mm. ways you know and you Mm. can't wait for somebody else to do it for you Mm. have to take Mm. control and that's what this is all about is taking control of your own trauma recovery Uh, it is 
there's uh, several different ways that people can kind of take a little bit more control over it. So you want to try to catch yourself when you sense that you're going down a spiral um, through uh, hypervigilance patterns and stuff. Um, you can really work on trying to be in the moment, it, at least just for a few moments. I know for people with extreme hypervigilance and trauma reactions, it can be really difficult, but focus for just a few moments. And you know, the five senses are really great ways of doing that. Focus on the things you can taste, touch, smell, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, focus on your breathing, focus on your connection. If you need to take off your shoes and walk in the grass barefoot, that's huge. I didn't realize how much that yeah. was helpful until just yeah. recently. Yeah, um, grounding. That's so that's such an important thing. Yeah. Right. And if you don't have the option to go and put your feet in the grass, do it on the floor, do it on the bottom mm -hmm. of a chair, do it somewhere where you can put your feet flat on the floor without shoes, disconnecting you from the ground, just your feet. Mm. Yeah. Writing is huge. So writing down all your negative thoughts, um, you can start to see the patterns show up. You can start to recognize when you become more hypervigilant. You can help to control your mind a little bit more in those moments when you recognize those patterns and you got to look for them. So it's a good idea to write them down. It is. So in terms of, you know, ongoing support and recovery, it's important to seek out medical um, or, you know, professional help. But we ultimately, each individual is responsible for their own recovery. Um, Absolutely. You know, like I think I've mentioned before, I've ended up being in a psych ward before when I was at my absolute lowest. And, you know, I'm at a place now where I'm back, in, back on track in my life. And my psychiatrist, you know, I've gone in and thanked him at times and said, you know, I've really appreciated the way you've supported me and said, it's all down to you. He said, I'm just here to guide you. You know, you're doing the work. You're the one that's actually um, doing your, you know, daily routines of yoga and meditation and um, walking. So th those are my things of doing to, to calm myself down and everybody's got their own way of doing it. Um, yeah. I also journal every day. So it's important to find what works for you and believe that you can recover. Um, you can, you know, evolve. All of us can, but it's ultimately, you know, it's our responsibility. Right, right. And it's really important to, to pay attention to when you do start to really spiral and kind of take control over yourself. So mm. if Kyle come, comes home like late three times this week from work, um, my reaction back in the day would have been Kyle's late again. That's the third time this week. Maybe he's losing interest in me. Maybe he doesn't care about me anymore. Maybe he's having an affair. Mm. And then I start to spiral. Like, why was he checking his phone? Who was calling him at seven o'clock this morning? And really, honestly, what you're doing is forcing that relationship towards a close. And really yeah. what, what we would and should do in a normal, healthy relationship is say, you know what? Kyle's late again. It's the third time this week. I'm finding this difficult. We need to sit down and talk about this because this, I'm really struggling and I don't think he understands why I'm struggling. Mm. 
So mm. let's set aside some time tonight, maybe after dinner to have a chat. Mm. And I know we've only got a yeah. couple of seconds left here on the program. Um, I think we talked a little bit too long before we got started, but next week or next two weeks from today, uh, we're going to be covering heart palpitations. Mm. Yeah, which another another response. Yeah, so I think ultimately, you know, what I would like to leave people with as a takeaway is that you only need to do one thing as a circuit breaker yeah. to start changing. You can't do everything all at once. It's too overwhelming. It's too much. It is. You can find out more about Growth From Darkness through the website www.growthfromdarkness.com. You can also learn more through the Facebook page, which can be found at facebook.com forward slash growth from darkness. Thank you 